Welcome to the Paul Gunn Podcast. Paul is an American pastor and chaplain who seeks to teach the Bible in an easy to understand and inspirational way to people of all ages. He believes the truths found in the scriptures have the power to change lives. Paul's church has a diverse mix of nationalities and ethnicities where the scriptures are taught in seven languages. When he's not serving his church, he's serving the military as a chaplain. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoy this edition of the Paul Gunn Podcast. The title of my message is One Man's Example, and I will be preaching from Nehemiah chapter 1. And before we begin the book of Nehemiah, I want to preach through this whole series through the book of Nehemiah. I need to give you a little background information on the history of Israel. Now, some of you already know this, some of you don't know it, and those watching by television, some people may be hearing all of this for the first time, so uh, please listen carefully as I go through this history that brings us up to where we are with the book of Nehemiah. I haven't heard a lot of preaching from the book of Nehemiah, maybe you haven't either, but we know about a man named Abraham. Abraham was called by God to be the father of a nation of people. And this nation of people at one time uh, was called the Hebrew people, then they were called the Israelites, then they were called the Jews. So when you hear me use those three different terms, I'm talking about the same group of people, the descendants of Abraham. And I preached through the life of Abraham sometime back that some of you may remember. And when the Israelites wound up enslaved in Egypt, God used a man named Moses to usher his people into freedom. However, because of the people's disobedience, they did not enter the promised land that God promised to his people until many years later. And I preached also through the books of Joshua and Judges through all that. And we know about the Israelites and their predictable cycle because I've mentioned it many times. They would fall away from God. They would worship idols and they would live in disobedience. And God would punish them usually by allowing enemy nations uh, to attack or conquer them. That's a good lesson for us to remember. And then the people would repent and they would return to him for a short period of time, sometimes longer than other periods but over the span of the, the history of a nation, we could say a rather short period of time, and then they would begin this process again. And then finally, the people's disregard for God and his commands led the nation to split in two. And, and ten tribes joined together and kept the name Israel. This is called the divided kingdom. I grew up in church and didn't know anything about the divided kingdom until I went to seminary. So I'm telling you about the divided kingdom. Some of you younger ones will find out about or learning about the divided kingdom before I ever knew about it. Ten of those tribes formed the nation of Israel and then two other tribes, which included the geographical city of Jerusalem, became known as Judah. And even in this divided situation and the challenges that they faced uh, they they did they just didn't fall back into the arms of the Lord generally speaking of course there were remnants of believers 
during all of these times that were true to God, but not all of them. And finally, as a result of their rebellion, God allowed the Persians to conquer Israel, and God allowed the Babylonians to conquer Judah. And all of you have heard the name King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem, destroyed the walls of Jerusalem and the temple, and took all but the poorest of people captive. Now when the walls of a city in this time in history were destroyed, it meant the end of the city. The walls were very important. The walls meant safety. Uh, the walls meant that there was a secure people living inside with their own economy, their own culture, their own way of doing life. The walls were important. And then 70 years later, the Persians conquered the Babylonians and King Cyrus became the great ruler of the East. And by God's design, only by God's design, King Cyrus told the Jews that they could return to their homeland. He freed them and allowed them to return to their homeland. And thousands of Jews did return to Jerusalem and Judah, but many of them had already built lives for themselves in Babylon and in other parts of the world, and they didn't go back. So the people were dispersed, and then when they were freed to go back to their homeland, many did not because they'd already taken on new lives. So almost 100 years later, there was a priest named Ezra. Uh, Ezra discovered that the people back home were not doing well. Uh, they had... They uh, were not living in accordance with God's word. So Ezra requested and received his king's permission to return to Jerusalem to help the people to get back on the right track. And then during his time there, the temple was rebuilt. They faced a lot of obstacles. So if, you, if you're at the book of Nehemiah, you know that the book right before Nehemiah is Ezra. And in some texts... Ezra and Nehemiah are together as one book because it's a continuous story of the Jewish people returning to their land, returning to the Holy Land. So if that uh, summary was too much for you, I'm going to summarize the summary. Two men were called by God to go home to the land of their ancestors and help them. There was a man named Ezra who started the work and Nehemiah continued the work. So we are going to pick up right here in the story beginning with Nehemiah chapter 1. <clears throat> there are five points to the message today. First, Nehemiah cared. Second, Nehemiah mourned. Third, Nehemiah repented. Four, Nehemiah requested God's help, and five, Nehemiah volunteered. First, I want you to see that Nehemiah cared. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah and son of Hakaliah in the months of Keslev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, 
One of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. We do not know much about Nehemiah or his family. Uh, the name Nehemiah means comfort of Yahweh or comfort of God. And at the end of this chapter, we discover that he's also the cupbearer to the king. I'll explain that a little more later, the importance of that. The king was the, the Persian ruler, King Artaxerxes, uh, the same king who allowed and blessed Ezra's return trip to his homeland. Uh, Nehemiah was born into captivity, so he never knew the, the Holy Land. He never knew Jerusalem. And for whatever reason, when the families were returned, were allowed to return to Jerusalem, Nehemiah's family did not return. And it's possible that, that, that Nehemiah, some believe, may have come from a family of royal servants and that they were expected to stay in service to the king based on his position as the cupbearer. However, uh, at least one of his brothers went back to, at some point, maybe with Ezra, Jerusalem. The capital of Judah was around a thousand miles from Susa. So if we were to think of a thousand miles from Nashville, that would be a long distance from here. So between here and Canada is less than a thousand miles. Between here and, and the Florida coast is less than a thousand miles. So in this day when you, when you traveled by foot or horses, a thousand miles seemed a whole lot longer than it does today. And that's a, a thousand miles was really a, a long distance for ancient travelers. And while the Persians did have a postal system, which is quite interesting, I wonder how efficient it was. <laughs> it's very likely that news from one place to the other did not get there quickly. So when Nehemiah's brother returned for a visit, he was anxious to hear the state of affairs in the family's homeland. So I'm sure that Nehemiah was uh, excited to see his brother. Uh, and if he and if other brothers went, they had, if they had gone to Jerusalem with Ezra, then it's possible that he had not seen his brothers in, in, in several years. So it's interesting that he did not limit his questions just to their well-being. Uh, he cared not only about his family, but more importantly, he was concerned for the family of God. Does everybody understand where the story's going right here? I did a, a DNA search, the uh, uh, Ancestry.com, several years ago. I was pretty excited to, you know, see how diverse my background is, and I found out that I'm just a boring white guy from Western Europe. There's not a lot, a lot of diversity in my DNA. But it would, be like, it would be like my brother going to Scotland or England or one of the Western European countries where, where my ancestors were at one time before they crossed the ocean. And it would be like him coming back and telling me, Paul, the, the people of God there are in a miserable state. And then me feeling this call of God to go there as a missionary to help out people from my homeland. 
The English poet Thomas Gray coined the phrase, ignorance is bliss. It's a mantra that many of us take to heart. And the reason that ignorance is bliss is that if you don't know about something, then you don't have any responsibility to do anything about it. And if you don't ask, you'll never know. Nehemiah wanted to know. And, and biblically speaking, uh, the philosophy of just ignoring things so that we don't have a responsibility to respond is unbiblical. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, along with other countless scriptures, tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens. And how are we to help each other and care for each other if we don't know others' burdens? Are we... Are we concerned about the well-being of fellow believers in our own congregation? Are we concerned about our well, the well-being of fellow believers in other parts of the world? You know, it's easy to ignore the needs of others. It's easy to ignore the plight of Christians around the world. But, but what we have right here in the opening verses of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah cared. Next we have that Nehemiah mourned. Look in verse 3. Verse 3 says, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Well, no doubt that Nehemiah was troubled. He knew that the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army had destroyed them nearly two centuries before. And while Nehemiah may have never seen the destruction with his own eyes, while he probably had never, never saw drawings of the broken down walls. He knew what a walled city looked like and he could only imagine what the broken down walls looked like. He'd heard stories passed down from one generation to the next and by this time the Jewish people had been living in Jerusalem allowed to return home like I told you for about a hundred years yet they had not rebuilt their wall. And Ezra himself had returned more than 10 years ago. And I'm sure Nehemiah thought that the walls would have been rebuilt by now. And still, you may wonder why, why this had such an emotional reaction in the life of Nehemiah. And it's, it's due to the fact that the walls were security, that they protected a city from invasion. They would define the city. And after so many years in captivity... Nehemiah had hoped that the city of Jerusalem and the people who lived there were regaining their identity as God's people, but the signs were otherwise. And instead of prospering in safety, Nehemiah discovered that they were living among ruins open to attack. In other words, they were living as foreigners in their own land from day to day. They were not reclaiming their own land. Nehemiah was heartbroken over the affairs of the Jewish people. But it's interesting to note that he already had a job. He was the cupbearer for the king. 
under which he served. And the cupbearer, the cupbearer had several roles. Uh, he's called the cupbearer because the, the cupbearer would, would provide wine for the king. He would taste food for the king before the king took it because of the fear of, of poisoning. He was a trusted confidant of the king. He was a trusted, the cupbearer was a trusted advisor to the king. So Nehemiah no doubt lived a comfortable life in his land. But being overtaken with emotion about the state of his homeland, he felt like he had to do something about it. Romans chapter 12 verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You know, that's easy to do with someone we know and love. But how do we respond to the circumstances of our world? Do we mourn injustice, poverty, persecution? Do we mourn the fact that people are not believers in Jesus Christ? Do we mourn the fact that many who say they believe show no evidence of it whatsoever? What I see in the life of Nehemiah is the call to be a missionary. A passion for a group of people, yes, that he was related to, but that he did not know. Many of us have never felt that passion, but we, when we learn about missionaries in the field, we've had them stand right here in our own pulpit and tell us that when they were children, they had a passion for people in Africa. They grew up knowing that God was going to call them someday to Africa. I remember specific statements being said from the pulpit like this, the call of a missionary. It's the injected Holy Spirit of God giving people a passion for others far away. So we see that Nehemiah cared. We see that Nehemiah mourned. Next, we see something very interesting. Nehemiah repented. Well, why did Nehemiah need to repent? Let's read. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave to your servant Moses. So we see here that Nehemiah's response to the unfavorable news that he got about the state of affairs in Jerusalem is not necessarily what we thought his response would be. It's really interesting. It's interesting to note how he did not respond. Listen to this. He did not complain about the people in Israel being lazy. He did not accuse and he did not ask for explanations or excuses on why the people in Jerusalem had not rebuilt their walls. He mourned the circumstances, and he repented. He acknowledged his own sin. 
Now, this is interesting. He acknowledged how his own sin had contributed to the problem. He admitted his disobedience and the disobedience of his family. When the circumstances of our lives go south, what is our first reaction? Uh, Do we point our fingers and blame others? Do we examine our own hearts? What do we do? When we look at the state of our own nation and our world, do do we look for excuses or do we repent and seek God's help in turning from our own sinful ways? So do you see... You see where we're going here. God is working on the heart of this man to do something quite incredible. We see that Nehemiah cared. He mourned. He repented. And next we see that Nehemiah requested God's help. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Remember the instruction You gave your servant Moses, saying, this is his prayer. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So in his prayer to God, Nehemiah quoted from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So he puts that there at the end, that uh, making that statement, not in his prayer, but in his book, letting us know that for him to leave, his life of comfort was a big deal, but he was willing to do it. Nehemiah knew who to turn to for help. He, he did not rally his brothers. He did not immediately go to the king and ask for the king's help at all, really. Nehemiah reminded God of his promises and requested God's blessings and God's help. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. If you don't have this verse uh, underlined in your Bible, highlighted, you should. Hebrews 4, verse 16 Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive joy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We've been given the the great privilege of having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Yet, where do we turn in times of trouble? Do we run to our friends, our spouses, our parents others to complain do we look for answers everywhere except through prayer and God's word Uh, God wants us to seek his favor and help not only for ourselves but for others God takes pleasure when we know his promises and bring them to mind numerous times in scripture we have people who said just like Nehemiah said you told us this, God, and we're, we're either going to do it or we're doing it. 
almost like a bit of a challenge to God. God, are you going to be faithful to your word or not? How do we respond? What do we do when there is a need? Nehemiah cared, he mourned, he repented, he requested God's help. And here's what he did. He volunteered. Nehemiah volunteered. And although we don't see it until we get to the next chapter, Nehemiah had already made up his mind. He was not satisfied just to ask. He was not content to just cry out about the state of affairs. He was not willing to simply repent and request. Nehemiah knew that God wanted him to be a man of action. There was a job to be done, and Nehemiah was willing to do it. Now, how do we respond when there is a need, especially a need among the church body or within the church? What do we do when there is a job to be done? Do we volunteer? Do we lend a hand? Or do we, do we volunteer others? Did Nehemiah have experience building a wall? No. Was Nehemiah's resume stacked with wall-building credentials? No. I doubt Nehemiah even owned a hammer. But did he use his lack of knowledge or lack of experience as an excuse? No, absolutely not. He set his mind to what needed to be done. And as we'll see in the next few weeks, he did it. He cared, he mourned, he repented, he requested God's help, he volunteered. A friend of mine has experienced unusual growth in a, in a certain segment of his church. He's a layman in this church. He's not on the church staff. And he, and he and his wife are in charge of this ministry that's just really grown. And I asked him this past week, what, what's the secret to, to the growth of this ministry that you and your wife are leading? His response was hard work. Just hard work. Staying involved, inviting people, following up, building the sense of community. And we, we know this for a fact that in churches, uh, Community among small groups is what makes a church strong. So our teachers, if you teach a class, if you're a care group leader in your class, you, you have to work hard. There's more to teaching than just standing up and giving a Bible lesson every Sunday. You've got to be involved. Nehemiah was one man. And the job of building a wall was not. A one-man job. Nehemiah was one man, and he did not have any equipment or experience building a wall. And at this point in the story, Nehemiah was one man who lived a thousand miles away from the task that needed to be done. Yet he was a man whose heart was in the right place. And because of that, he was a man that God used in a mighty way. Today is Father's Day, and what a fitting message this is for fathers. 
And while the lessons here do apply to both, both men and women, they are especially applicable to fathers. Nehemiah was a man who left us with this godly example to follow. Fathers, grandfathers, maybe even great-grandfathers here, what kind of examples are we? Do we care for others the way Christ does? Do we mourn over the things that Jesus mourned over? How do we address the problem of our own sin? Are we quick to confess and repent? Do we acknowledge our own failures and repent? Do we request God's help to do the hard things for the kingdom? Are we quick to jump in and say, I'll be God's person for the day like Nehemiah? You've been listening to the Paul Gunn Podcast, produced by Marie McKinney-Oates, available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tina Tran. Have a good day, mate.